Hello and welcome to B2B Better, the podcast that exists to help companies rethink how they win new business. Each week, I sit down with marketers, creatives, and storytellers to break down the commercial strategies that actually work with the modern day buyer. Let's get started. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by a good friend of mine, Brett McGrath. How are you doing, Brett? I am doing well. Big fan of your show, big fan of your content. Excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. We've been talking for a long time and you've been very generous to invite me on the Juice podcast, uh, the Juice where you work uh, a number of times and also feature me in a bunch of your content. I thought it's time to return the favor, um, not because I feel obligated to, but because you are just jam-packed with wisdom around how to uh, do effective B2B marketing and sales. Why don't you tell me a little bit about you and what you do at the Juice? Yeah, so uh, I'm a career B2B marketer. I've probably worked in almost every marketing function imaginable. Um, Started off sales support, demand gen, alliances, back half of my career, leadership roles where brand and content have been my primary focus. I love it. Um, I love uh, work building teams um, and finding new ways to communicate value and create better experiences for the people that we're trying to reach. Um, I, I live downtown in Indianapolis and have a family that I spent, takes up a lot of my time and I love it. Um, but yeah, I'm constantly on the marketing side, thinking about ways that we can kind of push um, ourselves forward in B2B and be more focused on the right kind of change. That's great. And so I've known you now for about a year, 18 months or so, and I knew you before you had your daughter and mm. she is now what, a year old or so? She's coming up on nine months. Nine so months. yeah, it's been a quite the, uh, the whirlwind, but a lot of work as you know, um, but I wouldn't trade anything for the world. Do you think it's changed your perspective at all, either on, you know, your career, um, marketing, you know, as, as, as welcoming, welcoming your little girl into the world, change your worldview in any way? Uh, yeah, it has. So it, it, it's caused me to uh, not take what I'm doing is so seriously. It's like at the end of the day, it's like we're marketing software. Like, yeah, pay, it, 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 it provides my family income. And yes, I like to build things. And yes, I like to work on teams and um, I love marketing, but at the end of the day, like there's definitely more important things. And I think when you, you know, you have a child, it, it just really puts in everything into perspective where the world kind of revolves around her rather than my career growth and where I want to go. So um, I think it's little things like I'm the, here are my rigid hours of work. I'm working from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. There is no opening up the laptop in the evening to finish something. It's like having the mindset that the work will be there tomorrow and I'll get to it and spend time with my family when I've got the time. So yeah, it has changed it. I feel like I'm, I'm a little more loose now at work. It's like a little more laid back um, and probably other people out there um, with children hopefully can relate with that at some level. I definitely relate to that. And, you know, I remember a couple of situations where, you know, after we welcomed Ivy into the world, that uh, it was kind of like a a high pressure situation at work that pre Ivy would have really sent me for a spin. But afterwards, it's like, yeah, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just going to I'm just going to close my laptop. I'm going to go upstairs, give my little girl a bath, tuck her in, read her stories. 
that's that's what's important right and all this other kind of b2b marketing stuff as you say it pays the bills and you know we're passionate about it and we want to kind of move the industry forward and we, you know we're still driven but um as you say it just kind of softens you up a little bit yeah i think a bit more room yeah i think the uh being a little loose allows uh it affords more creativity during the time spent plugged in um working and i think just you know in my role um I really think about what I do on a day-to-day basis and and just kind of like three different buckets. So it's building relationships. Like we met online and we've interacted online for over a year because I'm trying to be intentional with building relationships and making sure internally with my team, like the way we are working is one in the same. And there's some uh, cohesiveness to the way we operate and then spending a lot of time just on content. And it's like, I, when I, when I say I do content for a living and people are like, oh, you do B2B content? Like, what's that look like? It, it To me, like, it's just like having conversations like this. And so that's kind of how I, I, I think about it. And maybe it's like the experience and age and having a kid. But, you know, before in previous roles and earlier on in my career, I felt like I was had to be so buttoned up. And I felt like I was trying to march towards these goals. And the way I got there would be, was so rigid. And I found that the more I can just be authentic and the more that I can just be myself um, and just lean into my personality and who I am as an individual, the better results I have re- gotten for the businesses that I've working for and the more fun I'm having, to be honest with you. Well, I don't view it as my work. I view it as this is just like what I do. Like I, I, I go and I talk to other people like me and then try to figure out whatever I can do to synthesize that into something productive that I can share back that other people in the community can benefit from. And that's kind of where the whole brand building um kind of comes into play. So a little more loose, but I think maybe a lot more effective. We could almost do a whole podcast episode about authenticity and parenthood and, you know, how that applies to, to, to a career. Um, and I'd love to do that one day, actually. But um, we're here today to talk about content, uh, specifically distribution versus syndication, um, which is something that uh, is quite close to the mission of the juice for those of us or for those who are listening who aren't familiar with the juice tell us a little bit about about the company yeah so we are a uh, we're very, we're young we um i was the first second employee in the business in the company our ceo grabbed me on board and i joined the business to be the first marketer before we even had a product so that's just for all marketers out there try to join a business that doesn't have a product yet built or a product team um, that really allows you to be challenged as a marketer. Um, so that was a fun way to start. But what we do at the Juice is we're a content discovery and distribution platform for B2B marketing and sales professionals. So two-sided, two audiences, kind of two-sided um, vision where we have members who come to the Juice and can explore the Juice. We have the largest database of marketing and sales professional content in the world. Frictionless, you can go. Instead of going to Google, you can go to the Juice and find the right resources. But then brands also um, use the Juice for distribution. So just on the, the consumer side, I want to paint the picture for anyone listening. So we have all been there. And this kind of storytelling was uh, how our CEO kind of hook, lined, and sinkered me into wanting to join and help solve for this problem. But we've all been in that position where we have needed to learn something and find the right resources. And we go to Google and Google spits out some 
blog posts from companies that do maybe what we're searching for, but they're packed full of keywords. We lay it on the page. We're trying to navigate. We're trying to figure out exactly what it is, if they can answer our question. And we decide to go check out their product. Well, we have to fill out a form in order to check out their product. Then we get a call immediately from a sales rep. Then we ignore that. Then we get a bunch of emails and they're, they're trying to push a demo on us. And it's just a really bad experience. And so what we're trying to do is cut that experience out and just allow access to really great content without all the BS that we're used to. So there's that from the consumer side. And then on the brand side, we share it. We, we we're creating so much content and we publish it through so many different channels. But a lot of the times there's a lot of different people in those channels that don't care what we're talking about and actually is not a good fit at all. So what we're trying to do is curate a sales and marketing, B2B sales and marketing audience and brands who are trying to communicate with those B2B marketing and sales professionals, trying to bring those two groups closer together and do it in a way that's not like content syndication, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later, but do it in a way that's more personalized and, and impactful. Can you define for me what the difference is between content syndication and content distribution? Like, you know, someone who's who's running a program, a syndication program, how is that different from just distributing the content in, in the way that you and the juice see it? So uh, example for me, um, about five years ago, I was working at a company that was doing really well and I'd ha- I get some budget at the end of each quarter. I'd be like, hey, we've got some extra budget for you. Be like, great. That's a great thing to hear as a marketer. Um, so what I would do, because I was being measured on leads, is I would call up my content syndication dealer and say, hey, pal, I got 5K. I've got 10K more. I've got this piece of content. I'm going to spend the money with you. You go do your magic. And then I'll, a week later, I'll hear from you. Well, the week would go by. And the guy would come back to me and say, here's your list. And this list would be a CSV file with a bunch of names on a list. And I would take those names on a list and I would upload them in our CRM. And then I would allocate them to sales. And I'd look at my lead total and it would be exactly where I wanted it. And I'd give myself a thumbs up because I hit my lead total for the month. Well, what was happening on the other side of that is sales was pissed off because they would call them bad leads. And They would be mad at marketing and say, these aren't real, Um, but I didn't care because I was hitting my lead total. That that type of process and investment is being made in content syndication all over the world right now. It's just not effective. It's producing vanity metrics. So when I think about content syndication, I think uh, not saying that all content syndication programs can't work, but most of the ones that I've been a part of feed vanity metrics as opposed to actually getting the right people's attention and turning that attention into conversation with sales. When I think about content distribution, I think about after we take all of this time to publish or to produce and publish a new piece of content, what we, we hit publish and we send it to the channels. And then typically it's kind of like on to, it's like this on to the next one mentality. I like to kind of refer to as the content factory approach. Content distribution to me is taking as much time on the distribution side as you do on the creation side. So like kind of like almost a 50-50 time split and it's identifying the right channels where your future customers are hanging out and not just going there and shoving the content down their throat, but that's where you go and you start building relationships. 
answering connect our questions on Twitter, really building the rapport so that when you do have a piece to share, you're sharing it. People understand who you are. They understand what your business is doing. And they understand that the content that I'm sharing is valuable. So I think there's so many distribution channels, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Reddit, uh, Slack communities. It list goes on for the Ju We want to be one of those at the juice. We want to be one of those distribution channels that you're thinking about when you're publishing your content. But I th think it's evaluating those channels and making sure that they're right fits. And the easiest way to make sure that the right fits are that there are people there who are wanting to learn, who are also the same people that you think are a good fit for your product or whatever you're selling. That makes total sense. And I've certainly um, been in that camp of spending a crap ton of time creating content and then not spending nearly enough time actually distributing it, both in my professional day job and as a kind of solo content creator. And it's something that I'm working to fix. Um, I'm just curious though on the content syndication piece, because I've never done that. And maybe it's just because I never got that good call at the end of the quarter saying, Hey, there's a bit of extra budget. What do you want to do with it? Um, I, I've never invested in a content syndication platform. Looking back over your career, was there a time where you thought actually it did work and it was a good investment? And then it's just been getting worse as these new distribution channels have become more ubiquitous or has it always just been, you know, a less than stellar tactic that if you, have a bit of extra money and you don't know really what to do with it. You just throw it in there and have, have done with it. Yeah. I, I think, uh, and I, I, I try not to be like absolute and say like, this will never work and uh, don't do it. Um, but from my experience and reflecting back on it now, I think when we, we, we've just talked about marketing and sales and the building connections, um, I think by doing content syndication, while I thought I was creating a stronger connection by feeding their pipeline, what I was really doing was wasting their time. And so um, for me personally, before I really matured as a marketer, I was okay with this practice because I would get comped quarterly on my, my KPIs. And as long as no matter, by, by any means necessary, however, I was hitting my KPIs, I get that that bonus, so that's all that mattered to me. Well, that that's not sustainable. So I, it might work, and you might be running content syndication, and you might think, "What's this guy talking about?" But I think where I wanted to focus in on this is personal experience for me. And then um, Jonathan, our CEO, um, he went out and talked to a hundred marketers in a hundred days pre-product. It was it was how we started talking about me becoming the marketer at the Juice. But he asked 100 marketers about, have you run content syndication? If so, how did it, how did it, how are the results and how it makes you feel? And out of 100 people, there was one individual that said, yes, I've run content syndication. And yes, I love it. And I think it's effective. So to me, that was kind of like I had personally gone through and be like, this, was, this wasn't effective for me. And actually, yeah, this was silly that I was spending money on that. And then the validation from him and his kind of pursuit and case study led me to be like wanting to explore this topic a little further and run it alongside distribution. It seems to me that content syndication is one of these things that particularly um, early stage B2B companies um, who don't have, you know, a full-time marketer that isn't the intern or perhaps a kind of CEO, CEO led marketing team where the CEO is more kind of focused on sales or maybe even a technical CEO, CEO. Um, would fall into the trap of, and again, like you say, you don't want to 
don't want to deal in absolutes as Obi-Wan Kenobi says in Star Wars, because I need the Sith do that. But um, you, you could fall into the trap of thinking, well, there's this amazing platform who already have an audience, whether it's the right audience is TBD, but have an audience. I just sign a check, send them something I've worked on, and then just watch the leads roll in. What does a new age distribution strategy look like? Like what is the modern day playbook that that kind of company, that early stage company or that CEO led marketing team, what should they be focusing on instead? So when I think about like um, uh, a content marketer today, I, uh, I just wrote about this, but like in, in, in the game of baseball, there, the, the professional baseball teams are hunting for five tool players and five tool players are like the all time great baseball players, like Mickey Mantle, Willie Mays, uh, Ken Griffey Jr. And the, they want these players because they're really good at all the five most important things to be successful in baseball. And when I think about content marketing, I think about, it's not just about the publishing component, but I think about the, the five tools for me are investigation, synthesize, synthesizing, collaborate, create, and distribute. And I think being putting on your investigation hat and before you even think about distribution and that's going out and like spending time this if this can be if you're creating content right now and you've got content marketing going and you're thinking about distribution keep doing what you're doing but before you get into distribution go out and spend the time to investigate and investigate all the possible channels that your future customers could be going to or are currently in communicating, consuming content like yours and start figuring out, is this where we should be spending our time? Is this where we should be building relationships online? Is this where we should be distributing our content? And I just think that's one thing that gets lost. It's like there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be made in order to kind of start with a new age distribution strategy. And I think it's taking a step back, investigating, and it's doing a lot of listening and in that process, you're documenting, you're documenting what you're seeing, you're documenting what you're hearing, you're seeing if there are potential advocates in those groups. And it's, it's just almost like just doing a research project. And then you'll know it'll reach a point where you have blocked off chunks throughout your week. And it could be a month's time with chunks every other day. There'll be enough information there for you to say, okay, this is what I've learned. It's almost like your own report. Okay. Now that I've learned this, now that I know the audience is on these channels, now that I've maybe even started interacting and have a conversation, this is where we should start going to publish, uh, to distribute our content. And then you can think about a way to do it. So it doesn't feel like a spray and pray approach, but it actually feels like you're the individual going in with a piece of content that you poured your blood, sweat, and tears over that is actually going to help individuals. I think for someone listening to this, hearing the words research project could send them, you know, cold sweat down their, down their back, uh, takes them back to, to high school, um, certainly does for me. But I think what you're saying here, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, you know, it's very important to go out there and do the research and figure out where your customers are spending time. But that actual act, the pulling together of that information doesn't need to be a kind of nine month long process where you just don't do anything other than just watch and listen. I guess the beauty of all the channels that you mentioned a moment ago, Twitter, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, podcasts, et cetera, you know, it is fairly easy to kind of start activating those channels as part of your research project, actually getting in, stuck in, engaging, working with the community, providing value to the community without it being a kind of 
a a huge lift either in terms of budget or energy or resource so you can do while you can listen if, if, yeah. if that makes sense yeah i know i always like to attribute it to it's like we're uh flying the plane while tra- changing the engine at the same time it's mm. it, it's 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 doing that and it's an exper- it's an experiment but i promise you you'll learn more about your the person you're writing for or shooting video for or recording podcast for than you would before you were going into that. And the other benefit of going through this process is that you will start to gain insight and information that you can filter and feed back to your product team. That's power. If you get into a product meeting and there's a debate over function and uh, feature functionality build time allocation, and you can actually come to them with some evidence that you've learned from one of these channels because you are so close and deep in trying to understand. That's where uh, marketing really becomes a uh, strategic resource with inside uh, any of the businesses that you're working in. So one of the brands that you work with at The Juice is a brand called Guru. Um, and you tell you told me before we started recording this that they have kind of gone through this process, syndication to distribution. You know, Tell me a little bit about what they've done to tackle this shifting landscape of b2b content yeah so i'll actually like um since we're talking about research and that um component of it and listening online uh, the relationship with guru was met started on twitter and it was started during my first phase at the juice where i was just trying to understand and listen to people online and i saw um leah friedman who's the content uh content marketing director at guru was you know, having conversations and that, you know what, this is interesting. Like she has a, she has passionate takes about content and change. Uh, I wonder what she does. And so drilled into her profile, she worked at Guru. I looked at Guru and I was like, man, this, this, this company is incredible. Like, look at this product, um, you know, knowledge-based solution. And I went to G2 and I looked at G2 and looked at the reviews and they were literally at the top of the list. Like, most satisfied product in their space, reading the reviews, people were raving about what they were doing. I was like, holy cow. So I did what I, I reached out to uh, Leah and I just said, Hey, uh, been following your conversation. Um, this is awesome. Like I have this podcast um, that I'm spinning up. I'd love to have you on to meet you and learn a little bit more about what you're doing and kind of un- unpack one of these content topics. She immediately got back. Let's do it. So we, st- we, we met guru through, the process of distribution and listening online that we just talked about. And so when we, when we met, when I met guru and we, she's Leah started talking about some of the issues and things she was running into. I heard opportunity for the juice and I heard the opportunity because they were investing in content syndication and they weren't having the results that they thought they should be getting for the spend, probably running into some of the same uh, circumstances that I talked about further, but their goals really were to increase brand awareness with high quality fits within their ICP. Um, and that's just not what they were go- doing with content syndication. But we, as we're building this audience for the juice, we, we saw an opportunity for us to say, okay, we're new, but we're curating this audience. The volume isn't massive, like what a content syndication program can give you, but it's a high quality audience. So why don't we see if there's could be a fit to work together and see if we might be able to give you more value than what you're investing in with your current, you know, syndication program. And that the problem was 
they weren't getting what they wanted. Uh, and the solution was, hey, we're, we're, we're building something new that um, we believe is going to be more, imp- more impactful and get, getting your content in front of the right people. And so that's really how the relationship started. And what did that look like in practice? So did they just send you a bunch of the content that they had produced and, and you guys threw it up onto the Juice platform? Yeah, so we've got a whole onboarding process. Um, shout out Kat, who um, works with our customers. She's incredible. She's our customer success uh, manager. But really, it's walking through the process of, hey, you have a brand page at the Juice. Make sure it's claimed. We got an owner of the brand page. Let's make sure we get your pieces onto the platform. Let's give you placement since you're one of our customers on our platform and making sure when you have a new piece of content, the right people on the platform get notified and we can get that in front of the right people at the right time. So um, that that's kind of how it works. And so one of the things we produce that I think is really cool is we call them intent signals, but it's like we give visibility on brands on our platform, uh, what they're doing uh, with your content. Um, if there's, if you're searching and your content comes up, if they're following your brands. And so we're, we're providing that kind of lens, that peek behind the curtain of these are the actual brands that are interacting with your stuff and doing the things that we do outside of the juice, whether follow people on Twitter, um, you know, uh, do a Google search and find uh, a piece of content. We're trying to provide those insights. Um, and we believe those insights are more valuable than uh, a name and a list that you would get from your content syndication program. What are the results of the campaign? You know, can you talk to any specific numbers that uh, that Guru saw um, after getting their content up onto the juice? Yeah. So since they've been on the platform, they've had uh, 1,500 intent signals. So follows, content engagement, searches. Um, and you, you think to yourself, okay, well, 1,500 uh, intent signals, so what? Well, Intent signals, instead of uploading those into your CRM and distributing in the sales team and having them waste a bunch of time, you really start to get into a new conversation between sales and marketing where you can start to identify, hey, I know this brand is on your target account list. This is what they're doing with our content. Let's work together and identify ways that we can collaborate on getting in front of these people in the right way. So it's, it's really modernized the way sales and marketing is, is, uh, is working together. And so um, we, our team has weekly or biweekly check-ins with the guru team. They've been one of our first customers. um, And they, I I think they would say that the investment that they've made with us, as opposed to what they were spending on kind of the syndication side um, has, has been beneficial. It's an interesting. It's an interesting proposition, and I'm curious to get your take on how important the role of brand plays for the juice itself as a means to attracting those two groups of people you talked about right up at the top of this of, of this um, of this story. You know, bringing in people to actually consume and read the content, or listen to the content, or watch the content, and bringing in those brands. So, can you talk to that a little bit? What is the role of brand for the juice? I think it's everything for us. And I'll be honest with you, Jason, it's been one of the most challenging um, experiences I've had to navigate in my career of how do we communicate to two separate audiences that sometimes are the same audience. And the only way I know how is to be able to tell stories 
and communicate um, and, and communicate, use other individuals to help communicate out some of the things that we are talking about. It's one of the reasons why we have a podcast. It's one of the reasons why we're not shouting at the mountains at everyone, but we're bringing in, we're curating other market B2B marketing and sales professionals to help tell our story around the modern day marketer. And, and, and that the modern day marketer has really been kind of the, 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 the star of the show for us, where it's, it, I learned a lot about what, what the good, bad, and the ugly was in B2B and where B2B marketers want to go. And that's, I'm synthesizing all of that into the modern day marketer. I'm doing whatever I can to use that to carry our brand forward. So for me, the way we go about that is just regular content, reg, regular uh, opportunities to provide value. Um, try not to be pushy. Try to be radically candid. Um, try to message towards the change. And, and the way we do that is to think, okay, if we have a new member who's signing up for free on the juice to be a user and start consuming content, like what is the experience that we would want to be go through and eliminate all those roadblocks? And typically when we're building our brand, we try to consider that the experience. So that's that starts from the, the way someone sees us online to going to the website, to using the product, um, to them telling their friends about it. So uh, brand building is, is where I spend a majority of my time. And to be honest with you, it's more just relationship building and making sure that it's not just me or other members of the Juice team telling people what we think, but leveraging really smart people in the market who share in a similar passion and want to solve similar problems that we do. No strings attached, free, consistent value over long periods of time without being pushy. Uh, sounds incredibly simple, but amazing how many B2B brands out there have yet to, uh, yet to clock on. Brett, this has been a great, a great interview. Um, you've certainly taught me a lot. As we finish up here, tell me, what do you think is going to be the biggest change in how B2B companies market themselves over the next five years? So I think the biggest thing is the understanding that you, as a brand, your number one distribution channel is the people who work inside of your company and being able to leverage those people and voices in a way that's organic um, is, the mo is the biggest change I think we're going to see. We are building towards that. Um, with the Juice, we've just started a beta product creator pages it's kind of our us dipping our foot into that. But um, if you look across the board, all the most effective brands in B2B right now are the brands where their people are excited and passionate and go to social to have the share the company's message, but don't sh share it like a copy paste cookie cutter way, but they have their own remix on what they want to talk about. And they're trying to build their personal brands. So here you go. Any brand listening. If you have ambitious, excited people working for you and they want to build their personal brands, let them fly because you know what's going to happen at the end of the road? They're going to meet people out on Twitter, out on LinkedIn, in Slack communities. And through that interaction and conversation, they're going to find out who they work for and their brand. And you know what's going to happen when they have a problem that your company solves instead of thinking about it and going through your process on your website, they're going to remember the people 
that they met in the group and they're going to go directly to them. So I think this is only going to continue companies that are knocking it out of the park right now. You can, you can see them, their people are very active. So whatever we can do as leaders in these businesses to facilitate more and to understand that your people are your number one distribution channel, you should do it right now. I ask this question at the end of every single interview and I need to one day go back and just tally up how many people have said some version of what you just said, you know, invest, <laughs> invest in your people. Right. Um, and I would guarantee it is more than 65, 70%. Um, so yeah, it's great to know that there's a bunch of us out there that believe in the investing in the personal brands of your employees. Um, I will drop the links to the juice and to your social channels under the, uh, the description of this podcast, Brett, but is there anything you want to plug before we let you go? Yeah, I just say like if you're interested in uh, an easier way to find B2B marketing and sales content, go sign up, be a member. It's free. And then also um, I, I publish two episodes uh, every week, Modern Day Marketer. You can find it wherever you listen to podcasts, Mondays and Fridays they drop. So go check it out. But appreciate it, Jason. This is fun as always. And that's it for this episode of B2B Better. If you want to learn more about how to win new business through modern day marketing, head over to my website, www.jasonrbradwell.com for a ton more interviews with marketers, creatives, and storytellers on the strategies that they're deploying to create demand with B2B buyers. It would also mean a lot if you could leave a review of this podcast, hit subscribe, or share it with a friend. Bonus points for all three. It's all massively appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell or connect with me on LinkedIn. See you next time.